Agility for me goes together with awareness, where awareness is about understanding what's going on. Agility is about acting on it and also being able to adopt or adapt, I should say, when things change. And I think those two elements, you know, in the uncertain times that we're heading towards, I think are two skills that are of critical importance, whether it's an HR professional or a CHRO, I would say awareness and agility. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of All About HR, namely our season two finale. My name is Nelly, I'm still your host, and for today's episode, I get to have a conversation with Eric van Velpen, founder of AIHR and HR expert. Before we start, however, we really appreciate it if you could subscribe to our channel, hit that notification bell and like this video. Now, let's get started. to another episode of All About HR. Eric, hi, and welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much, Neely. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm also very well. Thanks, Eric. Very much looking forward to this season finale of the second season of the podcast. This year, we really wanted to wrap up our season with our founder, Eric, who also worked on our HR trends or themes, opportunities, however you like to call them, for 2023. Now, together with our production team, we have selected some snippets of conversations we had with HR leaders during season two of the podcast, where our guests are talking about topics related to our trends for next year. We're going to share these with Eric and hear his, and perhaps also my thoughts on them. First off, Here's a snippet of our episode with Dr. Rochelle Haynes. She's a gig HR expert, lecturer, and a global speaker. Let's have a look. So I think gig HR, one of our biggest roles is working on that mindset transformation and also to ensure that you're getting the best out of that, you're engaging the best people globally. Then the role of gig HR really is to facilitate that experience and ensure that companies are truly transforming rather than trying to replicate the office remotely because that is not that's not the experience that's not the new work experience yes eric i think that rochelle here touches on actually two of the themes that we identified for next year and one of them is uh, managing what we call managing workforce ecosystems and the second one is really about redefining remote and hybrid work strategies. Now, what she's talking about here is specifically related to gig workers. But what we are seeing more and more is that as so many organizations have a blended workforce, what's next really for HR is to have a holistic approach to how they're dealing with all of the people that work in the organization and not just the traditional employees. So let's start with that. What's your perspective on that? I think uh, she's making a very good point. You know, she calls it gig HR. I like that. I like that term. It's a challenge because as HR, you have limited capacity so one of the challenges that you have you know given your limited capacity the limited time and money that you have who are you going to invest it in and can you equally invest it in full-time employees versus for example contract workers i think that is that is one of the challenges like where does do our priorities lie as hr professionals and i think that is a that's a difficult 
choice because on my the human side of me I feel like you know everyone is worth the same the same time but in your organization you may have people who have more strategic impact so spending more time on them and developing them will also have more impact for the organization yeah absolutely and to that Eric I think it's something that is easily overlooked but also perhaps because it's not necessarily a popular opinion to have while it is the reality I think in many organizations right yeah that's that's true and I think there's also another differentiation between your your contractors which are I would say your deskless contractors. How do you manage them versus your uh, um, contractual knowledge workers? There's also a very big shift there. As HR, we have a duty, and as an organization, we have a duty to you know be good for our people, to to make sure that people have livable wages, that they have the support and and well-being, even though they may not be employees. And we also see a shift there, where, for example, the the, the European courts are now saying you know the Uber drivers, for example, are employees and not contractors. So you see that gig, uh, gig element shifting as well. And you see that government is more and more often stepping up and saying, hey, organizations, you do have a responsibility for your gig workers. At the moment, you're not taking it. So we're moving, you know, our contractors are now becoming employees again, um, because you do need to take that responsibility for, uh, for the people who work for you. So I think there's also interesting developments there. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about, Eric, the uh, part that Rochelle touches on as well, which is more aimed at redefining remote and hybrid work strategies. What's happening there? I think that's also fascinating. One of the concerns that I have, you know, post-pandemic, we're seeing everyone start working hybridly. A lot of people work from home. One of the concerns that I have with the, the current economical climate, where a lot of news outlets are writing about, you know, there's a recession coming or some countries are already moving into a, a recession. What will happen when we move into a full recession? And if there are some redundancies, and managers were asked this in a recent survey, they said, you know, if I have to choose between a full-time employee who's in the office or a remote worker, I would rather, you know, if there's a redundancy, go for the remote worker or the hybrid worker because they're less visible and I don't really know if they perform. You have that performance paradox where people or managers still struggle to manage people who are not full-time in the office. So I think there is a risk of seeing almost a divide between on the one hand workers who are regularly in the office and workers who are mostly at home. And I think as HR we should be very conscious of that, that that is you know, something that's coming up. So I'm very interested to see how remote work and hybrid working will develop over the next you know six months to a year with having that in mind i can very vividly imagine that more and more employees will come to the office more and more regularly because they see a risk of if there's an economic downturn and there are redundancies my chances are much better if i'm you know sitting next to the manager every day instead of sitting at home and being in calls all day yeah i think this is a very relevant point that you're making eric do you do you already have an idea as to how HR can go about this? I think HR needs to be very clear on um, the fact that remote workers and non-remote workers are absolutely equal. I think remote workers need to be brought in, into the office on a, on, a, on a regular basis, you know, in events, uh, make sure that they become part of the office network as well. And I think that is really about your managerial and your HR practices in order to integrate them. Because as long as uh, remote workers and in-office employees are not equally, you know, the same, I think you will keep that discrepancy. So I think there's, a, there's work there for managers and there's work for HR to really embed remote workers in the organization as well. Any ideas as to how they can do that? 
Maybe you can give an example. A good way of doing that would for me be, you know, bringing in these remote workers into team days. So at least, you know, they're in the office at least four days, uh, uh, four days a year. So you have that in-person contact. I think it's also about managing in a better way. We still run into that managerial paradox where managers don't really trust people and their performance. And they have the belief that people who they see working next to them, that they are better at work and perform better than people who they don't see physically next to them and I think that's also managerial skills that if you're good at setting targets and setting KPIs it shouldn't matter whether someone works eight hours or ten hours or five hours a day as long as they hit those targets and I think there's also responsibility for HR to enable managers to be better at setting goals uh, setting KPIs and then just evaluating performance on the individual level and I think those are some of the ways in which you can bring that together and make sure that your remote workers are really equal to your uh, fixed full-time employees who are in the office all the time. This actually makes me think of a comment that we got when we came out with our with our HR trends and we asked people uh, about their thoughts. And so one of the comments was, okay, so let's just stop talking about where we work, but just what we deliver. And I think this is exactly what you're saying as well. But this will require some time, I think, still. Yeah, and it will require skill. And I think that is a skill that we don't talk about enough yet, which is how do you manage a remote workforce? How do you effectively manage a remote workforce? And I think that requires a different level of skill. And I think that comment just hit the nail on the head. Yes. This is going to be very interesting to watch. I'm, I'm very, really very curious to see how this is going to unfold. But we are going to move on to the next fragment though, Eric. And here we are going to listen to Giselle Mota, Chief of Product Inclusion at ADP. And she's also the creator of the Nifty Collective. HR has a unique perspective of knowing what people want, need, how they utilize HR processes and experiences and, and HR technology. So in a metaverse space, you can collaborate. You can create like learnings uh, and trainings. I know a lot of people are working hybrid now. Again, if you're separated by distance or separated because of, you know, issues like remote work or hybrid work, you can still join and, and like network and have like a happy hour or something where you're getting together, not on a Zoom call, you know, but maybe something more like an immersive experience in the metaverse. So this one makes me smile because we just talked about where work takes place, hybrid, remote. And then we have this snippet coming from Giselle talking about the metaverse. Now, this one caused quite a stir on my LinkedIn when we published our trends for next year. The opinions, they differed quite a bit about metaverse just being a gimmick or the metaverse being the future. So I am very, very curious um, to hear what your view is on this. So my view on the metaverse is, is twofold. So the first part, I think the metaverse offers HR a real opportunity to reinvent how work takes place. Uh, for example, when you're meeting in an office, you're sitting around a table. What does a meeting in a metaverse look like? I hope there's no table because we use a table to write on and, you know, in a metaverse, we're not writing. So I think the metaverse offers an opportunity to really reinvent the way we work, the way we are creative, the way we design. So I think it can be an adaptive space in that sense. And also, if I may add, Eric here, also, it's a great way potentially to level the playing field between those people who are not in the office and the ones that are because everybody will be in the metaverse so you won't have these issues that we just discussed but continue no i agree and also if you look at disability physical disability that's another thing where the playing field is leveled simply because you're in a digital space so i think there's there's more than one equalizer in the metaverse i think that the next couple of years and that's one of the reasons why i put it as a trend in our 2023 report i think the next year will be pivotal for 
whether the metaverse will become something or will kind of sizzle out. So I think the next year will be critical in seeing what is the value that we can really create with the metaverse or is it something you know that was launched as a big initiative by various companies but we don't really see a tactical approach to it so i hope and i expect a lot of companies to start experimenting with the metaverse try and implement it in their workflow and then try to see is it really effective and is it really working and if it's not working you know then it certainly is a trend that you know then fizzled out if it is working then it's really there to stay and i think 2020 is the year in which we'll see that happen and in which that will be decided. Yeah, I wanted to add to that as well, Eric, that I think especially from HR professionals, this will require a certain openness of their minds and also curiosity as to what does the metaverse actually look like when we want to use it, how could we use it? And also hopefully a willingness to start experimenting with it, as you're saying. So uh, I really, really hope that as HR professionals, we, we can have this openness and this curiosity and just start to play with it. Uh, so that we can see if it can actually be beneficial for us as an organization and for the people in it. Absolutely agree. And I think there's also a skills component. You know, you start to work with technologies that you may not have worked with before. So that also requires new skills, which is something that I'm very excited about. So I definitely agree there, uh, Neri. And this, Eric, is a very nice bridge to our next snippet because we are going to look at Claude Silver and she's the Chief Heart Officer at Vanya Media and I believe also that you know her very well. So let's hear what Claude has to say. HR needs to be remodeled a little bit. I think that there's been an enormous amount of time and energy that's been put into HR departments to protect the company. And uh, I think we need to switch that to be HR is partnering with the entire company and partnering with all of its people. It's not protecting the company, it's partnering with. And that's very, I mean, partnering is an active word, but in terms of, you know, HR business managers or, or business partners, like there's an element of coaching there where you don't have to have the answers, but you're guiding people. So that's what I, that's where I think the world of HR will be changing and it is changing in pockets. Claude Eric here is, is talking about this changing role of HR. And what I really love about what she was talking about here is how uh, HR should be part partnering with everybody in the company. And I think that really grasps an important part of, of what, yeah, what HR should indeed be doing. Well, why did we choose this snippet? It's because we identified uh, as one of the themes for next year, also the evolving role of the CHRO. So when we look at that in particular, so the evolving role of the CHRO, what are some of the most interesting things that you're seeing here? I think the, the CHRO plays uh, really a balancing act on the one hand, listening to the uh, employees and getting a sense of what's going on, you know, in the employee population and in society. And at the same time, we see a more and more strategic role for the CHRO, you know, advising on policies to ensure that productivity stays up and uptime stays up during a pandemic in the midst of, of you know, war in Europe, how to relocate people, how to make sure that uh, business con continues while we also take care of people and i think that that's something that claude says very or puts very very well you know hr is a partner hr is not there just for the business hr is not there just for the employees it's very much um, taking it together how can we help people by helping the organization and how can we help the organization by helping people and that is what i really like and i think when you look at the role of the chro 
I think the CHRO is evolving and has evolved over the past couple of years to be more and more a spokesperson for employees, but at the same time wearing a very strategic hat. So being that true partner and advising the, the CEO to speak out on the relevant topics that the employees care about. Yeah, while I was listening to you, Eric, and and, and when I'm looking at the strands that we identified for next year, it, it, it almost feels like the evolving role of the CHRO is almost like an umbrella overarching all of these other developments that we talked about. Because if the CHRO doesn't evolve, because they're the driving, kind of the driving force which, uh, behind a lot of these developments like this, redefining hybrid and remote work, but also starting to experiment the metaverse uh, and also some of the things that we're still going to talk about. It feels to me like if the CHRO isn't evolving in their role, then it will become a lot harder for a lot of these other trends to actually come to fruition. I agree there. And I think what we're seeing is that the scope of HR starts to increase. And, you know, with, with complexity increasing, um, we also see that the complexity of the leader of HR, the CHRO, is also increasing. So, you know, HR becoming more digital, becoming more uh, data-driven, um, um, being more responsive to employee needs and, and sentiments in the broader society, having a very outspoken employer brand that requires that CHRO person to also evolve and encompass all those additional areas and, you know, be that voice in the board to represent all of those. It also means that the role of the CHRO will become harder and harder and harder. And I think we're actually already seeing that there's a shortage of highly qualified CHROs in general. And I think that is also a concern, you know, where does it stop and what is then the expectation that we have of our leaders? But maybe that's a whole whole different topic, uh, merely. It is, Eric. But one last question about this, though, still. What would you say are two of the most important skills for today's chief people officers, CHROs? I'm going to fall back on the two most important skills that I also mentioned uh, in our trends report. Those skills are, first of all, awareness. Awareness is important because, you know, the world is changing at a faster and faster rate. We see complexity in the role of the CHRO increasing, but we're also seeing that the economical climate starts to change as well. We need to be aware of what is happening outside of the organization, you know, when it comes to the economy, also inside in the organization when it comes to employee sentiment, and also outside in when it comes to societal sentiment about our brand, about social topics, because those topics will impact the way uh, uh, we govern as HR professionals and the decisions that we make and the advice that we give to the CEO as well. So I think awareness is one skill that is of critical importance. The other skill is agility. And agility is important for me because agility is about having an orientation towards action, but at the same time being able to be sufficiently flexible that if things change, you know, you're agile and you take different actions. So agility for me goes together with awareness, where awareness is about understanding what's going on, agility is about acting on it, and also being able to adopt or adapt, I should say, when things change. And I think those two elements, you know, in the uncertain times that we're heading towards, I think are two skills that are of critical importance, whether it's an HR professional or a CHRO, I would say awareness and agility. Yeah, makes total sense to me. And I was going going to add because you said if things change, and I was actually going to say when things change. When but things yeah. change. When <laughs> Very things nice. Change. Okay, next up, um, a snippet from the podcast we recorded with AJ Thomas, and she's the chief chaos pilot at X, a nonprofit founder and executive coach. Let's listen to what she has to say. I, I think that is not just about asking why something is important, but how 
we then land those things, whether it's a benefits open enrollment, whether it's this new you know, pay transparency act that's happening. I think it behooves us to also think about not just checking the box that we did those things, but also making sure that we're pouring into how did we do those things? Did we engage folks in dialogue? Did we create an opportunity for folks to be able to access that type of thinking of what it means for them as well, but also in balance, making sure that it's fulfilling to the mission and the purpose of the organization that we're in. And because it's not just about you as a young person knowing your purpose, think about those young organizations, those early stage startups, right? Some of them don't have to pivot also sometimes because they then they discover their purpose in a very different way um, and create new products or new ways in which they have their unique contribution in the world by continuously knowing that it's something that is going to be continuously shaped and never final. We just talked about how how these, this evolving role of the CHRO is really this this driving force behind a lot of developments. And I think the, the move that we're now seeing towards organizations becoming more and more purpose-driven, this is also something that is uh, often initiated within the HR department. And Asia here, she's also talking about, yeah, about purpose and really purpose being something that is important for the organization, but also for us individuals within the organization. And it's something that's been talked a lot about as well. And something that we identified for 2023 and beyond. Now, when we talk about creating purpose-driven uh, organizations, what, in your opinion, is the most important element to keep in mind? I think a very good question to start with as an HR professional is, why do I practice HR in this specific organization? And why don't I practice HR at you know any of the different organizations where I can practice HR? What makes my organization absolutely unique in that aspect? And I think then you start to to boil it down. You know what makes your organization unique? That is also the message that you want to communicate to uh, employees, to prospective employees. You know that will become part of your employer brand, etc. So I think when it comes to identifying that purpose it's really about you know hooking that into what the organization is trying to achieve and what makes you unique as an organization as and also as an hr organization and i think if you really identify that and figure out why you practice hr in your organization you know against all the other organizations i think that is your starting point of creating a purpose for the broader organization as well and i think you can also test it by going to employees you know why do you work here and not at the competitor i think you find those answers very very helpful in forming that purpose yeah absolutely and what do you think about what aj was saying about how it's something that is always evolving the purpose how do you see that yeah i, I think a, a purpose you know a purpose can be a, a big thing i think what aj was, was trying to say is that kind of the the, the journey towards and all the hr activities that you that 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 help contribute you know continuously evolve and and become increasingly complex and we touched on that when we were talking about the role of the chro you know there's so many expectations that employees have of us as hr that are increasing in complexity that are continuously evolving and i think purpose is one of these things that maybe five, 10 years ago, people weren't really talking about. Now it is uh, really something that you need to have. And I think there is business relevance to purpose as well. So um, 
you know, when you talk to your business stakeholders or you have a conversation as a CHRO with the CEO who's asking, you know, why is this purpose so important? I think purpose is really about, you know, what gets people up at night and what makes people from normal workers towards engaged workers. And what is the trigger that makes sure that our people, you know, are not uh, joining the, the, the laying flat uh, movement or the, uh, what is the name of the other movement? Quiet the quitting. Quiet but quitting we can just movement. say disengaged. You know, <laughs> why are people not disengaging, but, you know, staying on top of their game and really actively trying to contribute to what the organization is trying to do? I think that has to do in a big part with that purpose of your organization. It also has to do with, with you know, whether you like your role and whether you have good colleagues, but purpose is also an important part of that. No, oh, I loved what you were saying there, uh, Eric, like when you have to explain this as a CHRO to your CEO, for instance, that that purpose is what makes employees from just doing their job to being very engaged employees. I think that's exactly one of the differences that purpose makes. So yeah, love that. Perhaps one last thing about this purpose-driven organization uh, topic, Eric, though. What would you say to those who would argue that purpose is just another excuse for organizations to make their to make their people work really hard and not necessarily treating them very well. I think it's a it's a balancing act. I I know an organization that you know is very committed to a very specific environmental goal. I can't mention the goal because then everyone knows what the organization is. So what comes to mind for me is an an organization that is very well known. Uh, is linked to a very clear, concrete um, environmental goal that everyone will agree that, you know, that's a great thing to do and to work towards. They're very effective in hiring uh, and bringing in people who, you know, don't necessarily do it for the money, but who are experienced, who have years and years of experience, who kind of made it already and then work there for a couple of years, you know, just to contribute to society. Their HR practices are really not that great. They don't pay uh, tremendously well because, you know, they're an NGO, so, you know, you don't go there for the pay. You know, working there in itself is not the best experience, but because they have such a big purpose and they're executing towards it, people are willing to take that for granted. Is that exploitation? I think it's it's a different employee value proposition. It is, you know, what do you value as an employee? Maybe when you're, you know, younger, earlier in life, you want to make some money because you want to buy a house, you know, and that is top of mind. And I think that is very valid. So then that company might not be for you. But if you're, you know, more advanced in your career, you want to give back, that might just be the absolute best company to work for at that stage in your career. So I think you will also see differentiation between organizations. And, you know, there are organizations that are like a cult and that they say, that say we do everything for a purpose you know and if that is your thing you know then you may very well uh, be there and have a very good match with that organization if that's not your thing you know then you might not want to go there so i think what i'm excited about in this regard is that it will re essentially create more distinct organizations instead of you know i can pick five organizations and all organizations give me a comparable experience you now see very different experiences at different companies and i think that's a great way for hr to set yourself apart as an employer of choice for a specific demographic that really wants to work for you eric we have one last trend i really wanted to talk to you about is about reshaping workplace learning and i think the role that hr plays in that because HR should play a central role, I think, in that. Um, now, this might sound really big to people who are listening, so maybe you can just tell us where to get where to get started. Yeah. So what I like about the trend is we're talking about strategic upskilling, strategic learning, and I think 
learning in HR can be much more strategic than it is today. And with strategic upskilling, I really mean identifying what the organization needs to excel at in order to win in the marketplace. And then based on those capabilities, upskill your employee population. So very concretely, concretely for HR, it is, you know, which capabilities, which skills do I need in order to realize my people strategy, for example, and then upskilling based on those capabilities. I think that is what organizations should do much more. So taking a much more strategic approach, identifying the capabilities that the organization needs, and then moving back towards the capabilities that individuals need and then upskilling in a strategic way. And I think that is really a big opportunity because we see that the world is changing faster and faster, especially in HR. We see that the role of the CHRO, the role of the HR professional is becoming increasingly complex. The question is, how do we make sure that we stay up to date? We don't do that by learning everything because there's a lot to learn. We do it through strategic targeted upskilling. And that is really a trend that I'm seeing over time and that I think, especially for 2023, will be increasingly relevant. You know, maybe as budgets potentially get cut because there's an economic downturn coming, the upskilling and the budgets that we do have, we should really invest in strategic upskilling. So uh, strategic is the key word here, isn't it, Eric? It is. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you very much, Nelia. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in to today's special episode, our season finale of season two of All About HR. We really appreciate it if you can subscribe to the channel, like this video and share it with a colleague, a friend or a family member. Thank you very much and see you for a new episode in 2023. Bye.